Hello, everybody. This is Joel Johnson with a Rainmaker podcast. As usual, the things that we talk about on this particular podcast, you are to run by your compliance people. If it has anything to do with uh, meeting or communicating with clients, make sure you're not breaking any rules. Today, uh, this is actually the second attempt at this podcast. I did this podcast. I couldn't get it off my phone, which nobody can figure out why, so we will try this again. Today, we're going to talk about client retention studies. I came across an excellent study that I would recommend to any of you, and it's put out by Price Metrics, and it's from Price Metrics Insights, December of 2013. So this is an old one, but Brian in my office found this for me, and it's called Stay or Stray which is a study on client retention. And I just thought it was very, very interesting. So let me go through uh, a few points here. One is, which clients, this is the question, which clients are durable, sticky, we like to call it in our business, and which clients are higher risk? So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, We'll also talk about the the challenges of how, you know, it's hard to get a client, right? And so it's a lot less work to keep a client than it is to get a client. So if it's something where you're losing a lot of clients, you want to take a real close look at, well, why is that? Could we be doing something to keep those clients on board? Because obviously, once you acquire a client, especially in the managed money world, if you don't keep them for at least two years, you're probably losing money on them. And for some of you, it might be longer than that, depending on your profitability. You know, think about somebody that advertises heavily like a Ken Fisher. He probably t- it probably takes him three years maybe to to get back uh, uh, the cost of his client acquisition. I'm just guessing that, but it's definitely more than the first year of his one percent fee. So you got to think about that a little bit. Is it is it more important to keep clients than to get new ones? Well, I think there's a balance there. But let's go through some um, some numbers here. So. I will tell you what we have. I I just did a run, and we have 220 people that are former clients in four years. So that's 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018. 220 people are former clients, and there's probably a good 20 to 30 of them that are former clients because we did paperwork, and then they changed their mind, and they never moved their money. So kind of probably have to take those. Obviously, you have to take those people out. So let's say we're left with 190. So 190 people are former clients. We have about three to 4,000 households. So what that means is we're losing, if we lose 50 a year out of, let's just say, 3,000 households, uh, we're losing, uh, what is that? Uh, 30 would be 1%. So we're losing a good 2 to 3% of our client base uh, per year. Uh, another way to look at it is we're bringing on 500 clients per year. We're losing 50. That's even a higher number. And so we want to figure out, well, what's going on there? Why are people leaving us? And I'm in the process right now of doing studies in our own client base to say, first of all, when are they leaving? Are they leaving in year one, year two, year three, or four of the relationship? Um, the people that are leaving, how engaged were they? Did they come to our client events? Did they come to our managed money seminars that we do for existing clients and so on? So we want to learn as much as we can about those people, and I will get back to you on some of the results. But let me give you some of the results from this study that I thought were very fascinating. First of all, the most crucial time period for advisors to focus on client retention 
and attrition risk is from the one-year mark to the four-year mark. And I thought that was very interesting. So basically what that says, it's easy to keep a client for a year. And once you have a client for four years, it's easy to keep them. It's years two, three, and four that are the risky years. And later on in this study, it talks about if you bring in 100 clients, after four years, only 75 of them will be left. And all of us like to say, well, we're better than that. Well, maybe you are, maybe you're not. The point is, what is the study telling us? It's telling us that in years two, three, and four, that's when clients are likely to leave. Now, here's some other points that the study says. Small clients are less likely to stay with their advisors. That's interesting. Uh, So having an excess number of small clients can negatively affect the retention of other clients. This is definitely an issue that we have here at Johnson Brunetti. We classify our clients as A, B, Cs, and Ds. And D clients are people with $300,000 or less with our company, $300,000 or less with our company. Well, I bet that 35 to 40% of our book of business is D clients. So if we're spending all our time and all our energy servicing a D client, we're probably ignoring the A clients because we just have such a massive amount of D clients or B, C, and D clients and not as many A clients. A clients only make up up about 10% of our client base, which is about what I would recommend your A clients do. So our A clients are a million dollars plus in um, money with us, not potential, but money with us. Our B clients are 600,000 to a million. C clients are 300,000 to 600,000. And uh, D clients are zero to 300,000. And that includes all the assets that we get, whether that is annuity money, managed money, or a combination of both. Uh, The client relationships, again, back to the study, the client relationships that are least likely to be retained are low-price fee-only relationships and high-priced transaction-only relationships. Let's say that again. The client relationships that are least likely to be retained are low-price fee-only relationships. What does that mean? It means clients that are paying very low fees. So if you're charging really low management fees, 0.2%, 0 0.3%, 0.4%, those clients are more likely to leave. Seems kind of counterintuitive. Um, But clearly, what the data says is the lower your fees, the less your clients will stay. And I think it might be because the clients don't perceive that the value's that much. I mean, think about it. You know, years back, Mercedes, the entry-level Mercedes was 50, 60,000 bucks, whatever it was, maybe 50. Then they introduced the C-Class, and all of a sudden they come out with a $30,000 Mercedes. Well, if you're a guy that wants to drive a 50, 60, $70,000 car, two things have happened there. One is you're saying, geez, a $30,000 Mercedes. It's not like, oh, gee, this is a Mercedes. It's like, oh my gosh, how could they make it so cheap? What did they do to cut corners? The other thing it does is what does it do to the brand? What does it do to the brand of a car that, of a car company that builds 60 to $200,000 cars and all of a sudden they come out with a $30,000 car? So my theory is, this isn't in the data, but my theory is that when you guys discount your fees, you hurt your client retention. You lower your perceived value. Now, the other thing that we see, and again, we're back in the same client, uh, same uh, uh, study, the client relationships least likely to be retained are low-priced fee-only relationships. We just talked about that. 
and high-priced transaction-only relationships. So these are the ones where people aren't paying a fee, they're paying transactions, they're paying commissions for you to move money in and out uh, of different securities, or should I say that they're only buying a commission-based product, uh, like an annuity. So again, we wanna watch out. Discounting fees heavily, not good. The only relationship you have with a client is on insurance products, probably not good. You wanna shoot for that combination of both. Next sentence, in item, or next item, uh, in terms of retaining clients, the industry-wide transition to fees is most advantageously approached as the addition of fee to transaction, where clients hold both types of accounts. What on earth does that mean? Here's what it means. It simply means that if your clients have both fee-based accounts and a transaction-based accounts, like a fee-based account and an annuity sitting next to each other, you have a very high probability of retaining that client. So we're doing good in this area here at my company. Um, our split last year when we brought in $305 million was $150 million in annuity and $155 million in managed money, right down the middle. Obviously not down the middle for every client, but as a whole. And so we're doing pretty good. We've got the fee-based relationships. We do not have low fees in any way, shape, or form. And we also have the annuity piece. And if it's right for your client, that is a really nice combination from a revenue standpoint to your firm because obviously you have ongoing revenues in the form of the money management fees, but you also get paid up front for the insurance product. There's no one price, again, going back to the study, there's no one price that optimizes client retention, rather a range of place, prices. But listen to this. Advisors can undermine perception of value by pricing too low and they can price themselves out of a client's business by pricing too high. Both lower the prospect of retaining a client. So you don't want to be too high. You don't want to be too low. What's too high? Look at Rick Edelman's ADV. He charges 2% on assets up to 150000 <clears> Then <throat> I think it goes down to 1.7% um, and whatever it is from there. My point is he charges pretty high fees and he talks about high fees all the time. Um, us, we're at 1.6% up to the first 250. From 250 to a million, we're at one and a half. So we're getting about a one and a half percent fee on that first million dollars of asset. That's not a cheap fee. Now, also, um, if there's a third party money manager uh, in there, we pay that out of our one and a half percent. So the client just sees us bill one and a half percent, and then we're getting invoiced by the third party money manager and paying them their money. So one and a half percent. And then if you have the money that went to the annuity, obviously the client doesn't pay an out-of-pocket fee for that, um, but there's a commission paid to us that the insurance company recruits through the time commitment that the client makes. Uh, large clients, now this is, this is really interesting, and I think a great place to end, but also for you to think about it. Large clients display less price sensitivity than small clients. Large clients display less price sensitivity than small clients. Think about the way some of you discount your fees when it's a bigger account. Somebody comes in, it's an $800,000 managed money account. You're all excited. People say, well, you know, your fee schedule, can you discount your fee schedule? And you say yes right away. I think you should say, no, we won't discount our fee schedule. This is what all the clients just like you you are paying, and we think you're, we're worth it. Um, I just think it's really important not to discount your fee schedule. Again, 
what if you had a shoulder injury and you went to the top surgeon and they said, we're gonna do this shoulder surgery on you and we're gonna fix your shoulder, but your insurance company isn't gonna cover it all, which means I'm gonna have to have you write a check out of pocket for 5,000 bucks because that's our fee and the insurance company won't reimburse us for our total fee. If you come back and you say, well, gee, could you discount that to 2,500? And the person says, yes, I don't know about you, but I'm actually gonna think less of the person. They quote me run price, and then the second I breathe a breath of air with the word discount in it, they're gonna lower their price. And so I don't think you guys should be discounting your fees. You've heard me tell the story that when somebody asks us how much are your fees, we'll say higher than average. That's what we'll say, higher than average. And if that's a problem for the client, then it's a problem for the client or the prospect. Um, But I tell you what, if somebody says to me, in my marketplace, let's say I'm buying a service and they say, we're the most expensive, we're not gonna discount our fee, we're charging more than anybody else in the market, I'm attracted to them. I'm attracted to them. I I just went to see an estate planning attorney here in Connecticut one of the top estate planning attorney firms. They have 70 partners. All they do is estate planning. And I went to them and they said, you know, most of the attorneys around here are gonna charge X for this package and we charge double that. And I'm like, I'm in, you know, why? Because obviously the value I'm gonna get for somebody that can charge double the next guy over and over again is going to be higher. Now I know some of you are saying, well, it's probably not higher. Listen, it's probably higher. And my perception is it's higher. And if you guys are cheap yourselves, then you're probably gonna try to find, you're probably gonna end up attracting cheap clients. So I'm just encouraging you to change your thought process on this. So what have we talked about so far? Most of your clients that you lose, you will lose in years two, three, and four. So maybe spend a little less time in that special touchy-feely phase of the first year and make sure you're doing extra things to spend time with your clients in years two, three, or four, keeping them engaged, maybe an extra review. Um, And I'm not talking about sending them little blankets and pillows and coffee mugs. I'm talking about a true engaged relationship where they feel like they're getting value. So yours two, three, or four, very, very important. If you discount your prices, you're you're more likely to lose clients. If you spend all your time on smaller clients that you can't give the right attention to larger clients, you're more likely to lose clients. So I just thought this was a great study. Wanted to share it with you all. Hope you're having a great year so far. Um, the first quarter is now over, and uh, I'll tell you, we're flat. Um, we we had a goal for a 20% increase, pretty big goal, and we're flat um, so far. So uh, none of our employees will get the first quarter bonuses, and um, we're going to start fresh in the second quarter and hopefully hit that number. Um, for us, it's uh, raising 30 million a month or 90 million in a quarter. So we'll get to start fresh, and hopefully we'll bring in 90 million dollars in the uh, in the second quarter of the year, and we can pay out the bonuses and be on track for this pretty darn big goal that we have. So I will see you all at the next Rainmaker event. If you're in the group, if you're not in the group, so hopefully I will see you around at some point and uh, have a great day.